Hey, welcome to the Joyful Courage Podcast, a place for inspiration and transformation as we try and keep it together while parenting our tweens and teens. This is real work, people. And when we can focus on our own growth and nurturing the connection with our kids, we can move through the turbulence in a way that allows for relationships to remain intact. My name is Casey O'Rourke. I am your fearless host. I'm a positive discipline trainer, space holder, coach, and the adolescent lead at Sproutable. I am also the mama to a 20-year-old daughter and 17-year-old son walking right beside you on this path of raising our kids with positive discipline and conscious parenting. My guest today is Dr. Matthew Letterman. Together with his writing and business partner, Dr. Alana Pold, he has been touted as a doctor of the future. And with their work supported by many experts, they combine conventional Western medicine, Chinese medicine, lifestyle medicine, nonviolent communication, polyvagal theory, and trauma-informed somatic principles and pain reprocessing to create their groundbreaking health paradigm. Dr. Letterman has co-authored six books, most recently, Wellness to Wonderful, interweaving medical science, psychology, spirituality, and life wisdom to help people achieve lasting health, vibrancy, peace, and joy. He is a board-certified internal medicine physician and certified trainer of nonviolent communication. He's particularly passionate about integrating mind-body health treatment and providing second medical opinions for patients with persistent chronic disease. Dr. Letterman has moved on to co-found a new venture, We Heal, which is the culmination of decades of learning and practical experience organized into an easily accessible program that does everything just short of guaranteeing lasting health, joy, and satisfaction in your life. I'm so glad that you're here. Enjoy the show. Hi, Dr. Letterman. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, nice to be here. So you have an extensive bio and so much generous time and effort into the work and resources around wellness and living our best lives. Talk a little bit about where this passion stems from for you. How did you get into doing what you do? So I got into nutrition and lifestyle medicine because I really focus on wanting to help people and change lives and improve health and conventional medicine works for some areas, but for a lot of chronic disease, it wasn't enough. So stumbling into that and then seeing the power of that, I was really moved and inspired to bring that to patients. And over time, for different reasons, I got exposed to nonviolent communication and the power of connection and started bringing that into the healing paradigm. And what's really been fun is to connect the connection and its impact on our inflammation and chronic disease, as well as learning the tools of how to deepen connection and repair disconnection using nonviolent communication as a way of doing that. And once I had those tools, I struggled myself. I grew up and lived in a way that was quite disconnected. And I had a very authoritarian parenting experience as a child and then started doing that as a parent. And when I learned nonviolent communication and saw the power of it could impact my relationship with my wife and my kids, and I said, this is amazing, and then wanted to get better and better at it. Because when I saw people that were skilled at it, I said, whoa, I want to be able to do what they're doing. And how do they know to talk that way, think that way, and do that zig instead of zag? And when I learned 
it worked for me as well. And it's something that I was so passionate about. I wanted to teach other people. And that's when I pursued the certification to be a trainer. I'm really excited to talk about this because it is something that comes up a lot in different domains that I float around in. I think what'll be really useful for me and for listeners is to have you define and explain beyond just, oh, it's communication that's not violent. But what is nonviolent communication? What does it really mean? What are the principles that go along with it? Yes, I'm glad you asked because it's not really about communication. It's not so much the words that come out of your mouth as the way you think and your intention with other people. And when you shift your intention towards connection and you think in a way that you want to care about everybody's needs equally and trust that there's not a scarcity of resources, but an abundance of resources. If we all work together, we can get to something amazing. And that the focus is always on the quality of connection between, well, when I'm resourced and I'm connected to my skills, Mm -hmm. my focus is on the quality of the connection with the other person, not about winning or being right or getting my way, which sometimes is hard. And then as a parent, there's times where I want my way and then I name them. And I'll say, right now, I am making a demand. And I mourn that I can't think of another way, but I'm so under-resourced. You know, So it's not that we don't make demands. It's not that we're always connected. It's not that we're always resourced, but we're owning it. We're naming it. And even in that disconnected state, we can be more connected. Talk about being resourced. What does that mean to you when you say that? So to me, being resourced is sort of my energy tank. In my family, we have something we say our shake. Mm-hmm. Our energy shake or our goodwill shake, which is, you know, it's full. And then as I am tired and I'm hungry, you know, I haven't moved around all day. So I'm sort of a little bit stuck there. Or I've spent a lot of time, you know, mediating disharmony and disconnection. My shake gets lower and lower. I become more and more under resourced. Mm-hmm. So, for example, I know that if I choose to stay up late and work or watch a movie and I only get six hours instead of, you know, seven or eight hours, I'm going to be under-resourced the next day and I'm going to be more likely to snap at my children. Mm -hmm. I just know that. And if I make that choice, I might even tell my kids, I didn't sleep last night and that was my choice and I'm sorry, but I might have a little more tone with you than I normally do. Can you let me know when you hear tone so that I can repair that? Yeah. So they're helping me, but I'm naming it and I'm aware that I'm under-resourced. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Totally. I've been talking a lot about threshold and our threshold window. And so it's like as the, you know, using your language, as that energy shake depletes, in my language, it would be my threshold window actually gets smaller. And so things that might be something I roll with with a really big threshold window and being really resourced. And I love that you brought up sleeping because, oh my God, yeah. What is it? Under seven hours and I'm a wreck. Like, yeah. <laughs> And it's funny too, because I will say that to my kids. Anytime we have to go to the airport, like, I'm so sorry. We all know that I become a little freaky at the airport. It's this extra stress and I'm less tolerant of, you know, silliness and jokes and extra clutter, meaning like the clutter of my people's behavior. And we all kind of laugh about it. And I own it, right? I own it. And yes, I love that you brought up the repair too, because I think could really easily become an excuse, you know, like, well, I didn't get enough sleep. So now you all need to behave a certain way. Right. Versus I didn't get enough sleep. I might check my tone. And, you know, when the threshold window is really small and I spill out as not the greatest 
parenting moment, you know, I'm going to own it and recognize it and so that we can move forward. I really appreciate that. My listeners, like I told you, are parents of teenagers. And I'm hearing you as well. And I'm just nodding my head in alignment around that connection is so much more than the words that we use. So I'm really appreciating that. Communication is so real during adolescence. How old are your kids? Do you have adolescents? Are you here? You look kind of (laughs) young. My one daughter is going to be 12. And then the other is almost 10. Um, They're just starting in. They're creeping in. And then I have some nieces and nephews. Yeah, yeah. And I work with a lot of teenagers. And then I have cousins that they were teenagers and I'd work with them. And now they're getting out of their teenage years. So a lot of exposure. Yeah. So you've seen it. You see adolescence in action. And it's so interesting. And I'd love to hear just from your medical background. I mean, I've studied and seen resources where simple things like boys often will read a neutral facial expression as aggressive or like even just this morning, literally with my 17-year-old son, we were working on, we just opened up the Common App, which those of you that are listening who are heading into college application time know what the Common App is. It's the new way of applying to college. And we were talking about whether or not he should put a personal essay in when it's optional. And of course, I was like, you should. And he was really like, why? And as we were talking about it, I could feel his agitation. And he said, you are talking to me like I'm five. And I did not feel as though I was talking to him like he was five. And it's just like communication is so energetic. You know, there's so much, you already mentioned tone. There's so much messaging that we're delivering outside of our words. And it so quickly and easily, especially depending on how resourced we are, I'm just going to use your word because I love it, can go sideways. So how do we apply nonviolent communication in our parent-child relationships? What does that look like just on the daily? There's a couple of things here. One is our physiological state will affect how we sound and how we look. I don't know if listeners are familiar with the polyvagal theory. Talk to us. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So they talk about how if you're in a threat or high alert state, your body is going to shift into defensive postures. Mm. And that means it's going to hear different tones and frequencies more selectively. Its face is going to look different. Your tone of your voice is going to be different. You know, the flow of your movements of your head are going to be different. There's so much that shifts that can signal high alert potential threat. On the flip side, if you're feeling safe and secure and you have a sense, for example, that your needs are being met, there's no threat to your needs, your face is going to soften, your eyes, gaze is going to look different, your voice is going to sound different, and you're going to hear different sounds preferentially. So it could be, and this happens with my wife and I quite a bit, I don't know if you ever saw the uh, Yanni Laurel phenomenon where there was this sound and 50% of people, when they heard that sound, perceived that as the word Yanni. Mm-hmm. And the other 50% perceived that same sound as the word laurel. Oh, wow. What was really interesting was we used that to say, well, what were they saying? Were they saying Yanni or laurel? It didn't matter. What we were, 50% of people perceived the same sound differently. So what we were saying was sometimes I'll say something and I'll have no intention of tone, but either I'm mobilized so there's tone in my voice or my wife is mobilized and she's hearing tone when there's no tone in my voice. Both of those can happen. So rather than arguing if there was tone or not, just say, 
oh, you heard tone? And then you can empathize with them. I imagine you're feeling defensive. Maybe you want care and respect. Or, hey, do you have a second to hear that I was not intending tone in my voice, even if that's how you perceived it? Because I don't feel reactive right now. So my point is, is that the tone in your voice and how you're being perceived can be different. So your children, if they're under-resourced and mobilized, can hear tone when you didn't have any or definitely were not mobilized. Vice versa, you, you could be mobilized and not intended, but because you're mobilized, you're transmitting tone. So I think I want people to be aware that there's lots of reasons tone can be perceived that have nothing to do with your intention of what you're trying to communicate. Does that make sense? Yeah, that totally makes sense. In so many relationships, that makes sense. And it's fascinating to think that we can physiologically be predisposed, depending on our inner experience, to hear, to selectively hear things a certain way. That is fascinating. And it makes sense, going back to my morning with my son, it makes sense that he could hear that in me. And you'll have to let me know if this was a useful response. I said to him, like, we're at the beginning of this process and there's going to be other points along the way that are going to feel a little sticky. And so we get to really figure out how to talk about things like optional college personal essays or, you know, whether or not you should apply to schools that you're not really sure you even want to go to. We get to have these conversations without you feeling defensive and me feeling misunderstood. And so I said to him, I'm going to request that you let me know a better way of communicating so that you can hear me differently. Hmm. Was I practicing nonviolent communication? Yeah, I think your intention, (laughs) your intention is what's nonviolent communicate, right? If you're thinking... You know, I need to be able to tell him my opinion whenever I want to. Right. Even if you use the most beautiful nonviolent communication language, that intention is not NVC because your intention is not about connecting. It's about doing what you want to do. Right. So if you're attached to an agenda, if you want a certain result, you're automatically not using NVC. And that's what I learned early on was I had all the, you know, they talk about observations and feelings and needs and requests. And I had all this beautiful NVC language memorized. But my goal was still to get what I want, right? Or to get them to do what I want. So I didn't have the NBC intention. And that's more important than the language. Yeah. What's most important is how it landed. And did you care how it landed? If you cared about how it landed, then you would check in with your son. And if you felt attached to a certain outcome, then you would feel the tightness in you. And when you sense tightness in the other person, you know, to stop and check in because Mm -hmm. the connection is starting to break. Mm -hmm. But to me, it's about focusing on that connection at all times Mm -hmm. and being willing to stop mid-sentence and saying, hey, I'm trying to contribute with this information and I can see that it's not landing as a gift. Yeah. (laughs) I'm going to stop because I don't want anything I say to ever land like anything other than a gift. Unless it's, watch out, you're about to get hit by a car, then I don't care how it lands in that moment. Right, right, right. Right? But other than that, my goal is... If I'm trying to contribute, to make sure you're receiving a contribution. Yeah, I love that. And I cracked up when you said gift because I could just imagine. I mean, I could see myself being like, babe, to my husband, I'm really offering you a gift here. <laughs> Turn your ears on. And that's the other thing that I'm hearing you say. And this is something that in my personal life is really coming up, which is presence and being present 
with ourselves to even notice the tension, right. being present enough in the moment to recognize the indicators energetically or just what we can see that tension is showing up for the other person really requires us to be present. And you already said, like, it's not about being right, you know, and listeners, I know that we think we're right all the time. And we get to care more about the person, the human that we're in relationship with than we care about being right. And I think that is where we get to let go of that and notice the tension because we're not going to get where we want to go, which I think all of us just ultimately want to be in connected, loving relationships. And we can't get there if we're too hung up on, you know, like getting that point across or making sure they, you know, I think oftentimes as parents of teenagers, things get pretty wild sometimes. And this old idea of, well, they need to feel the pain, right? Like they need to know they've done the wrong thing. And so we really got to land it. And that can look like, you know, consequences or punishments or lectures or yelling or whatever. But ultimately, you know, what we want is that connected, loving relationship. And so it is a matter of recognizing, oh, they're completely tuned out. This isn't a gift. This is no longer a gift. Right. Yeah. And that's what's to stop and say, how is this landing? How are they being impacted and being willing to? switch course, right? Or to say that you can't switch course. Like to me, when you want, everything we're doing is to meet a need. Mm. Everybody has the same needs, different needs in different moments and different strategies. They like to meet their needs. But we all have the same needs, like safety, security, food, autonomy, care, love, predictability, right? Those are all universal human needs. This podcast is sponsored by Factor. Are you old enough to remember TV dinners? They came in those tin trays and each part of the meal had its own little compartment. I remember eating those and watching Happy Days, followed by Three's Company, maybe a little Laverne and Shirley. I am that old. Well, the situation has been totally upgraded by Factor. Factor makes delicious, ready-to-eat meals. And unlike those quick meals of the past, every Meal from Factor is fresh, never frozen, chef crafted, dietitian approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including meals that are calorie smart, protein plus, and keto if that's your thing. Also, there's more than 60 add ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. In my last order, we got red chicken chili, tamale bowls, and Italian sausage pizza casserole, as well as other delicious meals that my family loved. Plus, there's breakfast and smoothies and all sorts of other add-ons to make life simpler while also keeping it healthy. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Sign up and save. They've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Right now, head to factormeals.com slash joyful50 and use code joyful50 to get 50% off. That's code joyful50 at factormeals.com slash joyful50 to get 50% off. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence 
whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone, and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. Now, when you feel attached to saying something, or you feel like, hey, I want them to feel the impact, the consequence, Mm -hmm. what do you think your need is? Right? Because that's a need. And often there's a couple of needs there, right? One is empathy. I want you to feel the pain that I'm feeling, Mm -hmm. right? What you did really impacted me. And I want that to matter. And I want you to feel how it hurts or how it impacts me. That's one. That's why do you think a little kid hits another kid? Yeah. They want one of the things they're needing is empathy. Hey, you hurt me. I want you to feel how bad I feel. It's a tragic strategy to meet their need for empathy, but it's a need nevertheless. And then another one is predictability. Hey, if you know, I want to make sure this happens differently in the future. Right. So I'm gonna even if this really is uncomfortable or unpleasant, maybe you're gonna remember in the future more effectively. So that's another need, predictability. Right. Another one is I want this to matter. Mm-hmm. Right. If it's pain, you know, if it gets your attention, it's gonna matter. I want to be heard. That's another one that happens with parents, you know. And there's three needs in children that are chronically, I would say, undermet. That's a word. Right. There's autonomy. They want to have choice, right? They want to be heard. That's another one. And they want to trust that their needs matter as much as their parents. So autonomy, to be heard, and they want their needs to matter equally. And if we could do those, and then if we changed our goals, a lot of times the parents think they're doing stuff for the kids, but it's really the parents need for peace of mind, right? One of the biggest needs for a parent is peace of mind. The kid's going to be okay. Yeah. Right? So we want to switch. Our need is not to make good adults. As a parent, I would define success instead as I am able to stay connected with my child as much as possible, and I can support their authentic selves coming out and being accepted. You know, their authenticity is not suppressed. If I can do that, that's how I define success as far as parenting. And that can look a lot of different ways, right? Which is the scary thing for a parent. But to me, that lightens the load versus I need them to, you know, be a certain profession, show up in a certain way, behave in a certain, you know, all of that gets very weighty. Oh, I'm so appreciating this. You're speaking exactly into what I try to send out to parents 100%. And, you know, I was gifted with kids that are taking a stand for those needs, have taken a stand for those needs in ways that were really like, whoa, oh, really challenged me as far as do I really believe what I'm preaching, right? And, 
you know, I want to just highlight what you just said, those kids' needs of autonomy and choice being heard, trusting that their needs matter as much as their parents. I mean, I'm really hoping that all the listeners are like, ding, 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 having those light bulb moments because, I mean, I just think about all the clients that I work with who are really struggling with their teens and a lot of what they're struggling with comes right back to these needs not being met. And I really appreciated the languaging around the parent's need for empathy when things are hard or scary, when our kids are making big mistakes. Right. Because yeah, that is the come from. It's like, you need to understand how this feels for me. This is terrifying. Right. right? I'm really scared and I need you to know how scared I am. And so I'm going to do all of these wonky things, thinking that that's really going to land and make you understand. And it's very hard to support empathic presence from a child when you're triggered. Mm -hmm. We can do it. It took me five years to figure out how to do it. And I'm not always able to. But I figured out a little thing that I do with both of my daughters that allows me to get my need for empathy met. Tell me, tell us what it is. (laughs) I'll just give you a scenario, like an example. My younger daughter will leave stuff around the house. It's like a trail of her stuff, all the socks. She'll just take them off and leave them on the floor. You know, after shower, there's all her dirty clothes on. Yep. No matter how many times I think, I must have read probably a thousand times. And she really wants to remember, but for whatever reason, it just doesn't. It's click. just not important to her. And I think it is important to her as far as because she knows it's important to me. But, you know, she would rather wait until she runs out of clothes and then figure it out at that point versus have them in the wash ready to go mm-hmm. proactively. That, I think, would be her strategy, at least until – but anyway, what I would do now is I used to say, Jordan, right there, that tone, there's disconnection. With that tone, she goes right to fear, need for securities up, safety, attachment, and acceptance. Shame is starting to flow right there, right? So I'm already disconnected. And then I'll go on and be like, how many times, now I ask a question, which is one of the most violent things you can do with a child, particularly when you're angry. How many times do I have to, right? I'm basically saying, what's wrong with you? I'm about to tell you what's wrong with you, you know, and then point out how she's failed again. That was the old strategy. Now I have this thing where I see the clothes and I put my hands in the air. And there's this joke with one of my coworkers where I used to there'd be something wrong and I'd start typing to try and fix it. And I'd be doing it so fast that I'd be getting ahead and causing more of a mess. Mm -hmm. And she would email me or text me and say, step away from the computer and put your hands in the air. (laughs) Right. So it was sort of like this funny thing of like, Matt, you're making a mess, put your hands in the air so you don't keep making a mess. So I told my kids, I most importantly want to be connected. So I'm going to put my hands in the air when I'm, and that helps me remember it as much as signal to them that my focus is connection. So now I, I'm actually standing with my hands in the air and I'll say, hey, I really want to be connected in this moment, right? And then I go ahead a step further. That calms me down. And then I empathize with, I see their good intentions first. So I'll say, I know that you want to follow through with our agreements. I know you value that integrity. I know you want to care for me and my needs matter to you. So I want you to hear that I know that already. And I'll pause there and I'll say, yes, thank you. So now their defensiveness goes down Mm -hmm. because they can't give me empathy if they're defensive. And then once they're no longer defensive, because I've just seen them feeling defensive as a need to be seen, right? That, hey, I'm a good person. I'm not this bad kid. So now I've already proactively addressed that. 
The next step is say, hey, do you have space to give me empathy now? And I'll actually call it that because when you give me empathy, I don't need you to feel bad about yourself. What actually heals my heart is just getting empathy. And I feel so much better when you can give me empathy, which is just telling me how you imagine I feel when I see your socks on the ground. Mm -hmm. Do you have space to do that? And they'll say, yeah, dad, because I'll say when you and then they'll say, dad, I imagine when you see the socks on the ground, you get really annoyed because you want the house cleaned up and you want and you've told me a million times. So now they're saying what I used to say. I told they tell you tell me a million times and I'll say, yeah. And they'll say, dad, I bet that's really irritating. I'll be like, oh, thank you so much. My heart feels so much better right now. You just helped me heal in that moment by doing that, by giving me that empathy. That was so powerful. And they'll say, oh, and they have a big smile. Like, oh, my God, they just did something for me. Right. And then I'll say, okay, so now I feel better. You And I'll check in. You feel good. Great. What can we do about the socks? Can we sort of gamify this so that instead of when I, now I'm going to the request and strategy stage, because we've already gotten a really good quality connection. I got my empathy. They got their empathy. We're going to strategy now. Now when I, because people will say, when you see the socks on the floor, that's what's irritating you. That's not true. What's irritating me is my thoughts that I don't matter. And then I have a thought that my kid is this inconsiderate kid. And I don't know how they're going to grow up to be successful because they leave their socks on the floor all the time. No, they're probably going to be dead in the right. at some point. <laughs> exactly. Because the socks are all <laughs> So that to me is people, I have to help them understand that that's what's making me angry, my thoughts. Yeah. Because I, and they'll say, are you sure? I say, well, what happens if your daughter agreed to give you $1,000 every time you saw her socks on the floor? And I'd say, then I would be very happy to see socks on the floor. I would no longer be angry. So the socks are not yeah. making me angry, right? Because if I connect the socks to making a thousand bucks, I'm happy. If I connect the socks to my thoughts, they're inconsiderate and they don't care about me. And I'm a terrible dad raising a terrible kid. Now the socks are going to be irritating. You see what I'm saying? So now how can we make the socks exciting? So what I did was I said to my daughter, I said, would you be willing to give me a five minute massage every time I see the socks? (laughs) Right. And they'd be like, what about four minutes? You know, so we negotiate, you know, and or I could say, hey, you know, would you be willing to give me five bucks? Because I'll say to them. Do you want to put the socks? They're like, yeah, dad, I really want to contribute to you. I know that you want the house clean, but I just forget. And I say, okay, well, what can make this fun doing this way, right? So, and then I also help them say, how can I help you remember? Would it be like putting an alarm so that at 5 p.m. you check the whole house for socks? So we come up with different strategies that work for them because if I just depend on them remembering, that's not a successful strategy. I help them set alarms, write notes, put a stick it on the bathroom mirror. And we have that deal that, can I get a dollar or a massage or, hey, you're going to help me do something? And I ask them because that's the key. It's a punishment if I impose it on them. Right. But if I ask them, hey, what would be sort of like this fun play way that when I see the socks, you know, I know it matters to you and I sort of get a little bit of a win. So I get a little bit excited and then they'll come up with yeah. something. And it's a fun way. to Do you see what I'm saying? But do you see how it took a little yeah, bit of totally. time to get the empathy and go through that? But downstream... There's no disconnection. There's no repair that I have to deal with. I don't feel bad about myself and it saves time. And it also gets us out of this submission rebellion dynamic that parents are in with their young kids. They submit. And then when they become teenagers, they shift over to rebellion. It's all that same suppression of the kids' needs and lack of autonomy dynamic going on. I want to support the opposite of that. Yeah. And what I really liked was the piece around like what's going to be helpful for you? How can I help you? Because I think then what we're talking about is not a kid that we're holding as, you know, just a kid who doesn't care. 
And instead, it's, and I think about Ross Green says this a lot. He talks about lagging skills. It's a kid who just doesn't have the skills to remember, right? Like, or not, maybe it's not even skills, but it's, you know, all of us need a little something when we're trying to make a behavior change or we're trying to remember to do something. Visuals, you know, auditory reminders, those kinds of things. That's actually helpful. That's helping your daughter or helping my kiddo in the remembering. But it also, and what I'm hearing you say, it's also like, okay, that little alert happened and I care enough about my dad and our space that I'm actually going to also follow through when the reminder comes up. Now let's fast forward. Let's fast forward six years. And now you've got, and maybe, you know, I'm thinking about my listeners who perhaps are the parent who is saying like, hey, listen, the food dishes in your room, I'm totally over them. You need to put them away. Why can't you remember? Right? So, and now it's like, okay, I want to shift into this different way of communicating. What is it, you know, and I was just on a call earlier and we were talking about this. What is the work to set up a new way of being with our kids? Because I imagine like 15 year old who I am, you know, showing up with this new way of communicating with them. I'm thinking about teenagers, especially ones that know us well enough to be like, what is this? This is a ploy, right? Like this isn't really you. How do we bridge into a different way of communicating with our teens when there have been patterns that have been hurtful and not useful? It's owning the patterns. It's owning you were doing the best you could and then collaborating. We believe in collaborative parenting. So it's by saying, hey, I really don't like how I showed up as a parent. I was doing the best I could, but I've learned, you know, I listened to this podcast. I read this book. I want to try it differently. I'm not going to get it right. It's going to be a little messy. It'll probably feel a little funny, but I want you to hear my underlying intention is to show up in a way that's more connected and supportive of your needs too. And I would check in. I say, are you willing to go on this little ride with me? Because it may feel a little funny. At first. So right away, I'm focused on connection. I'm not saying, oh, this is the right way to be a parent. Now I'm going to do that. I'm saying, hey, I want to tell them what my need is and see what comes up for them. And maybe that'll be a time to just connect around the pain. Hey, have you, you know, is there a lot of pain because of those, you know, those three needs I talked about probably feeling like they're not being met over and over and over again? Do you feel like if you don't do what I say, there's going to be a big mess? Right? Remember, everything kids do or not do is to meet a need, even rolling their eyes. Mm-hmm. So when a kid rolls their eyes, my daughter is very good at it right? Mm -hmm. I'll say, oh, when I see, here's the observation, when I see you roll your eyes like that, I imagine you're feeling a little frustrated or irritated. That's the feeling. And maybe something is not meeting your needs that I just said, right? So your needs matter. You want me to care about your needs too, but you're not sure how to tell me, right? So you want to make sure she has a need for harmony too. So she's suppressing her needs. It's just popping out through an eye roll because she wants to keep harmony because she knows it's going to, it may blow up if she expresses what she's really thinking. And a lot of times what she's really thinking is in words that are going to be very hard for the parent to hear. So then the parent needs to help them translate too. But do you see how everything they're doing is to meet needs? So when a kid is saying, this sounds weird, what are you talking like that, mom? What's their need? Authenticity, trust. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, is you trying to manipulate me, right? Is this authentic? Can I trust this? What's your goal here? You just want to get me to do what you want again, just mm-hmm. in a nicer way? No way. So then you have to empathize with that. Yeah. Maybe over the years, you've had a hard time. We've lost a lot of trust. 
If you're a parent, I invite you to join us at the Mindful Mama podcast, where it's all about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent with sometimes hilarious and always thought-provoking experts and friends. At Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm Hunter Clark Fields, and I can't wait to see you there. Listen in to the Mindful Mama podcast. Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist, and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning, where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're going to talk about skills for survival and self-kindness. And I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder. And I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better. So one of the things I want to do is build trust back with you. Here's how you can help me. I did that with my older daughter when I first started with NBC. She was already old enough that autonomy had been definitely damaged. And I said, I want you to tell me every time you hear bossy. Just tell me, say, dad, you're hearing, I'm hearing bossy right now. And if I don't say thank you, we came up with something. I can't remember what it was. I think it was, if I don't say, hey, thanks for letting me know, because she'd be nervous. If I say I'm sure. bossy and I'm upset, what if I retaliate and yell even louder, let's say. So at the time, I needed to really try and get her to do it. I think we came up with, if I lose my, ten, you know, it was, I don't know if it was, you know, lollipop or it was, uh, you know, staying up later, but it was some like really serious thing that she was like, boy, I hope my dad doesn't handle this well, because then I get to stay up an extra half an hour, <laughs> you know, and it was yeah. big enough for me to be like, hey, I don't, don't screw this up, Matt, you know, you don't want her, yeah. have me, you know, so anyway, yeah. with the kid, I would go back and I would say, hey, I want to build trust with you, Yeah. right? And then from there, I can't be attached to the dishes not being in the room. If I go in there and my intention is to have dishes not be in the room or for them to bring their dishes down, I've already sacrificed connection. So I'm probably still triggered. If that's my intention when I'm going up there, I need more empathy. And to try and get empathy from your son, who you have, don't have trust with, and they don't have the skill set, is going to be really hard. Yeah. So what you want to do is get empathy from someone else. But let's say you got a ton of empathy, right? And hey, I just, I hate this. I don't want bugs and order. And I want my needs to matter. And I do so much for my kid. Why can't they see that? And every, you know, 90% of what I do is trying to contribute to their well-being. And it still doesn't seem to work. <sighs> okay. I think I'm ready because I really want to connect. And my guess is they have a lot of pain, meaning they're needing empathy. So when I go in, the first thing I'm going to do is not talk about the dishes, which is what they're expecting. I'm going to go in and be ready to give them empathy. I already got my empathy. So I'm really resourced and ready to give them empathy. And I might say, hey, you know, if I brought up the dishes right now, my guess is it would trigger you. So I want to do this differently. I want to find out what happens in you when I show up in that way. When I start saying, hey, I see your dishes. What happens? Do you just tighten up? Now, your kids might not have a vocabulary or they might not have trust to even share what comes up. So that's where instead of asking them how they're feeling, we like to guess. In NBC, you would guess. And then you just put yourself in those shoes. Hey, I'm guessing you tighten right up. 
because you're about to hear something that you're going to have to do, or if you don't do it, there's going to be some consequence to our relationship, or I'm going to withdraw in irritation, or you're going to do it when you don't want to do it. And that's, you know, submitting. I bet you that really stinks, doesn't it? Right. So I'm just trying to connect with them and empathize with the position they're in. You see what I'm doing there, though? I'm not focused on the dishes. Totally. Yes. A hundred percent. What I'm hearing you talk about is getting into some deeper layers that exist that are getting in the way of relationship and owning the patterns and owning the hurt and owning our way of being. And like you said, and I really want listeners to hear this, you are doing the best you can with the tools you have in the moment. And you get to listen in on this conversation that I'm having with Dr. Letterman and learn some new things and try them on, right? And I think it's so powerful for our kids, for us to model what it looks like to own our behavior and owning our behavior. And then like you talking with your daughter about when you shifted into a different way of being and you had that moment with her around, you know, let me know when I'm being bossy, we're the adults and we get to take the feedback and we get to in that moment, do whatever we need to do internally to calm our nervous systems and actually follow through with what we said we were going to do, which was, you know, show up a different way. Or say in the moment, I'm so under-resourced, I can't show up in the way I want. Can you hold for 10 minutes and then we'll circle back? Yes. And what powerful modeling. I mean, if the adults of the world were able to say, hold on, I'm under-resourced. Can we come back to this in 10 minutes? I mean, world issues would not be a thing, you know, if the adults could behave this way. And so we have this opportunity that's so powerful with the generation coming up to model something so powerful and so different. Yeah. And it can be yes so powerful. And I tell parents, you know, and I work with a lot of parents, actually parents and teenagers that are trying to reconnect. We do a lot of repair support. And the parents say, well, I want those dishes out of the room. I say, well, why don't you bring them out of the room? Yes. (laughs) This time, you know, like, well, you know, know, and it's because of the history and the buildup. If the mom brought them out of the room this time, that's not going to make or break mom. But there's that whole story of, remember I talked about that's what's made. It's not the the dishes that are making you angry. It's your thoughts of when you see the dishes that make you angry. How many times do I tell them they don't care? What kind of slob am I raising? What am I doing wrong? Who's going to marry this person? You know, like our head goes all there. That's what makes us irritated. Yeah. I want to hear more about the work that you do with parents and teens around repair, because I feel like, you know, if there hasn't been a lot of work on shifting our way of being in the parent-child relationship, and we get to the teen years, the teen years demands it, you know? So I'm guessing you probably have a lot of people who come in and there is a lot to repair. Yes. And I'm wondering, I'm curious, especially around the teenagers, that there's so much hurt that they're really resistant. How do you break through with those kids? There's kids that have been so shut down that they're very quiet, right? They won't say anything or very little. And that's just gone. That's just a need to protect. Because a lot of parents will say, oh, see, they don't care. Now, that's your evaluation. They're meeting a need by not saying something. What is that need? That's what I always ask. What need are they meeting by not saying it? It's not that they don't care. They care very much. And I've yet to meet a child that wouldn't want a deeper connection with their parents if they trust that the parents would do it, are interested in it, and it wouldn't include suppressing the child's needs. 
right? So there's no question that kids want that repair. And I've yet to hear a teenager tell me that if we could get the parent to show up in this way, that they wouldn't be so happy to run back and have a relationship with that parent. The only reason teenagers move away from their parents and pull, disconnect, and I'm not talking about like healthy independence, I'm talking about they pull away and shut down is because they don't see a better way to meet their needs. And mm. that's the challenge. So when I'm with parents and their kids, it doesn't matter what the issue is because all of the issues point back to very similar needs. So parents will say, well, we got a whole list of issues. And I'll say, there's probably only this many needs though, that need to be addressed. So any issue can get us to need because I don't care about the issue. I care about the underlying needs. And then for you to start having experiences of where you're collaborating and they're experiencing connection energy with you. And then that's the healing. Yeah. So we talk about one-on-one time together, like kid-led based on their interests, which for me means watching a lot of documentaries about rappers, (laughs) (laughs) which is actually kind of totally fascinating. And, you know, when I think about what you're saying and talk about it with parents, you know, it takes time remembering listeners that it takes time and consistency for our teens, especially the ones that feel hurt to trust the space, to trust that the space is safe. It takes takes time and you have to build that trust and sort of feed that, that a little bit, but depending on the, the amount and the extent of the damage and, you know, it happens quicker than parents think. And the other thing I want to say, though, is that when caring for your kids' needs, it doesn't go to permissive either. It doesn't mean you don't care about the parents' needs. I remember I said we got to care about both people's needs equally. And particularly around health and safety, we're not going to move forward unless my needs for health and safety are met, too. Now, with teenagers, they can ultimately do whatever they want, depending on the age. So even that is no longer relevant anymore. But you see, at a certain point, they're adults. They can do what they want. You know, I tell parents, let's focus on the connection and trust that that's going to lead us towards the magic. And if you also have to get good at mourning and self-empathy, particularly as the kids get older, and they're not going to do this, they're not going to have the same preferences and strategies that you have. They just won't. They're different people. Mm-hmm. So, hey, oh boy, am I mourning the fact that they're making that choice? And I have, a, and it's stimulating pain in me. And what we are not very proficient at, I believe, as people in general and parents, is holding our own pain. What we do is when we get pain, we try to make that go away by changing the outcomes in our surroundings. That includes trying to control our kids. I think that's a tragic strategy to try and sort of soothe our pain. Does that make sense? Is that clear? Yeah. Yeah, that does. So sometimes our need in the moment is mourning. And I need to mourn that I can't think of a way... To do this. Now, I could threaten my kid and I can make them wish they didn't do something through a really bad outcome that's only going to cause pain to try and get them to do what I want so that I feel better. Yeah. What's the cost there versus, hey, the connection is most important. And they might do something that's risky, dangerous. And at the same time, if they want to do that, they're going to do it anyway. Yeah. So now, can you do it in a way where, hey, you can be there with them? Or you can choose to not be there with them, but explain in a connected way why, hey, this is too hard for me to be there with you. And in the meantime, I'm going to tend to my pain 
But you can't say that to the kid in a way that's going to make him feel guilty because that's a sneaky way of, again, trying to control the kid. So do you see what I'm saying? Like, it's always being aware of what your intention is. So I don't know if that all makes sense, but that's a challenge for a lot of people is to sit with pain. Yeah. Well, it does make sense. And I know I'm very aware that we are just barely scratching the surface on stuff that is so deep and so profound and clearly work that you are passionate about. And so I'm so glad to have had this conversation and to just spark the listener's interest in learning more about nonviolent communication, myself included. So as we kind of wrap things up, is there any, like, are there, (laughs) are there any simple baby steps that you can leave us with that people that are listening right now can, you know, today bring into practice with their teens? The first steps I would do is you take your watch and I have a timer on my watch and I have it going for an hour, right? And every hour it goes off and then I can hit it to go off in another hour with a button. Mm-hmm. And what I do at that hour is I check in and I check in what I'm feeling in my head, what I'm feeling in my heart, what I'm feeling in my gut. And on our website, there's a feelings and needs list that can help you build the vocabulary. But every hour I'm taking inventory of stopping and checking in and making sure I'm showing up how I want to show up. And when the kids are rowdy or we're going down and there's a lot of chaos, I'll change my timer to maybe every five minutes. Mm-hmm. And then it's going off every five minutes, sometimes every minute where I'm like, I know I'm going to. And if I know that in a minute, a lot of times I'll tell everybody, hey, I'm going to go take a 10-minute break for self-care because I really want to get back and I don't want to snap or lose my temper and I'm feeling yeah. pretty triggered. But that timer for me builds that checking in, which allows you to connect to feelings and needs inside of you and then also learn how to check in and be more intentional you know, in the heat of the moment because I'm doing it every hour, mm-hmm. not just when it's hitting the fan. I love that because you know, it's that high reps, that high repetition. I think if we wait till it's hitting the fan, the likelihood that we'll lean into, oh, let me check in on myself. We don't have the muscle memory for it. And it's high emotion, you know. You can't do that. In the heat of the moment, you're going back to your default neural pathways. Right, right. You got to create the muscle memory, the neural pathways of checking in and slowing down and because that's the most important thing to do NDC and that intention is to take your time and slow down. Mm, thank you. Thank you for that. Thank you for your work and your passion for it and everything that you're doing and bringing for families. Can you tell us a little bit more about resources on your website? And then I'll have you share where people can find it. Yes. So on our website, we have a connection, a section of resources on connection. There's feelings and needs. There's ones for little kids. You can show them that has pictures. There's ones, you know, other ones with adults. I like to teach with role plays. And there's a role play of me working with a mom whose teenage son was actually in the audience and gave permission to do this. And I played the mom with NVC skills and the mom played her son about wanting them to get using their device too much. So we did that role play. And what's really cool about that is uh, when you play when she played the son, she was able to experience and empathize with the son because she played that role. Mm-hmm. Plus, she was able to see how it would feel coming at it differently with an NVC. Yeah. So that's on there. So just supportive stuff. There's a masterclass coming up in September that people can register for on there. And then they can work with us individually if they want. Great. 
Yay. Well, my final question that I ask all of my guests at the end is what does joyful courage mean to you in the context of nonviolent communication? Joyful courage to me would be the courage to check in and do as much in your life with that joyful energy instead of out of that obligation energy to really connect to your choice Mm -hmm. and your intention and to do as much as possible because it's joyfully contributing to you and other people Mm, and have the courage to do that when the world around you may have educated you to focus on what's right or what's expected, Mm -hmm. but you have the courage to really stay in integrity with your needs and values. Mm, Thank you. Where can people find you and follow your work? Yes. So our website is weheal.health. We have a new book, Wellness to Wonderful. uh, That's out. You can get that on Amazon, Audible, print, and Kindle. And you talk about nonviolent communication in that book? Yeah. So half of, because uh, it's it's all about optimizing health and resourcing the body so you can connect. And it talks about self-connection, mm-hmm. connection to other people. And NBC is a big foundation of that. Awesome. Are you on social media? Can we find you on social media? Yeah. So Wellness Too Wonderful with the number two. And you can follow us. That's our handle on all the different platforms. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for spending time with me. This was super useful and interesting. And I know that I am excited to learn even more. So I'm going to be checking out your website. Thank you. Hey, thank you for having me and all the parents listening. The fact that you're showing up and listening to this means that you care and you have that intention to be the best parent you can. So best wishes, best of luck. Congratulations on that. Thank you so much for listening in today. Thank you to my Sproutable partners, as well as Chris Mann and the team at Podshaper for all the support with getting this show out there and making it sound good. Check out our offers for parents with kids of all ages and sign up for our newsletter to stay connected at besproutable.com. Tune back in later this week for our Thursday show, and I'll be back with another interview next Monday. Peace. Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning, where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're gonna talk about skills for survival and self-kindness. And I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder. And I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better.